Welcome back to the Bo Templin Show. Nice little break. Uncle Luke, I'm not sure if we're going to incorporate uh, that, that break that we just took into the podcast because we stayed recording um, some, some entertaining couple minutes there uh, during, during the break. Really interesting stuff that we we're getting into. Um, but coming up next year, we are gonna, we've put together a list of five sporting events to rewatch during this quarantine because obviously we got nothing else to do. So, um, Uncle Luke, we have separately put together five that we want the other people to rewatch. Um, and they have to be findable. This can't be a sporting event that's lost in time or maybe there's uh, an unattainable link. Like, this has to be able, you have to be able to go to YouTube. Find the, the, the full game clip and, and rewatch it in its entirety. So, um, do you have a preference going first or second? Would you want me to kick things off? Um, I think it's only fair that you kick things off. I kick things off with our quarantine draft. So, I'll give you the 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 um, the pro the the honors here. I will say this. I think this segment kind of. Uh, was created out of like I think a lot of people on Twitter have been like tweeting about games. I obviously had that one tweet about uh, MJ, like my favorite MJ MJ games that I've watched, just because like you know I, I think a lot of people that I've hung out with that that you know know that I'm a Bulls fan don't like actually think that I've you know watched like done your homework full on MJ game. Yeah, exactly. And it's just like no, no, no. I actually have like there. Are, I have seen a good amount of games. I've tried like consistently over the seasons, especially when the Bulls are terrible, to watch as many games as possible. Um, but I, you know, something about like really statistically unsound fadeaway twos that really get me going. So. Beautiful. That, that's all I had to say. But yeah, that, that that's that's the the baseline of this. This is can be just you and I. We're gonna we what share what uh, old school games we we want to rewatch. Again. God bless. Well, listen, I'm gonna kick things off, and I I don't think this is no surprise what I'm putting in here. Um, it was on ESPN last week. You can find the full clip of it on YouTube, and I will be providing links in the thread of the podcast when we post it. But it is the greatest MMA match in the history of the sport. It is perhaps the greatest uh, match in the history of combat sports itself. Um, I can watch this fight a hundred more times. I've watched it a hundred times, and I still do not know who won. Nate Diaz versus Conor McGregor, too. It is, it's everything you want in a fight, man. It's back and forth. It's two superstars. It's high intensity. There's uh, guts and blood on the line. And and something that's kind of sneaky about this fight, and I think it's worth the rewatch, is over the last year or last two years, the UFC has placed this huge emphasis on the main event has to be a title fight. There has to be gold on the line. But in reality, two of their biggest events, UFC 196 and UFC 202, which are headlined by McGregor and Diaz, you can watch those and you can put on an entertaining um, spectacle for fans. And there doesn't have to be gold on the line. Sometimes you just get two bad dudes who do not like each other and their styles mesh perfectly. Now, I think this is something to highlight amongst these two. Conor McGregor can fight a lot of different people. And he can knock people out in a minute. He can be taken to deep waters. He can get ground and pounded by Khabib. Nate Diaz is the perfect guy for Conor McGregor to fight. He has the chin to withstand the left hand. He has the cardio to take out McGregor over a long period of time. And, man, I, I rewatched this fight last week with my dad and my brother. Um, my brother was over here last weekend. It goes all five rounds. This is a 25-minute marathon of a match. And in round one, McGregor comes out swinging. Now, there's retaliation. There's redemption on the line for Conor McGregor, right? He's been humiliated by Nate Diaz. He was tapped out in the second round and getting gassed, and, and he got his chin lit up in that second round by Nate Diaz. So for McGregor, there was something to prove in this second fight. So McGregor just dominates round one, as he does so often. There's no one really better in the first round of, of a combat fight than Conor McGregor. His explosiveness is uncanny, unparalleled to anyone else in combat sports. Round two is where things really get interesting, because Conor McGregor comes out hot again. And it's kind of a similar story to... The first fight, because he comes out hot, he drops Diaz in the second round. 
And you're like, oh man, McGregor made the adjustment. He, he's using the leg kick. He's really attacking the lead, uh, the lead leg of Nate Diaz, which he's known to be very heavy on. And it's a weakness. It's it's an absolute Achilles heel of Nate Diaz. Is if you can attack that lead leg, you can be really effective against him. But all of a sudden, in the second round, things start to change. And by the end of the round, Diaz goes on this crazy run where he just batters McGregor over and over and lands punches and bunches. You go into the third round, and it is all Diaz all round. Just absolutely in McGregor's face, pushing the pace, pushing the tempo. McGregor is walking away from Diaz at times, literally walking, jogging away from Diaz. Diaz is pointing, flipping him off, doing everything, saying, dude, you're tired. You don't get to run away in a fight like this. Something happened in between rounds three and four, and it was the first time we kind of saw McGregor dig deep, go, go somewhere that he hasn't been, find energy that he didn't know he had, and and McGregor grabs round four. And in round five, I think Diaz pulls it out, lands a takedown in the last 20 seconds that, in my opinion, secures the round, perhaps secures the fight. But at the end of the day, it just comes down to who do you give the second round to? And I'm just curious, when people watch this fight, who they think won. Because for McGregor to get this decision, I, I, think, I think it's a little ludicrous. I, at best, I think it's a draw because... On this last rewatch, I have Diaz winning it. But if you're a casual, if you're someone who's never seen the sport, there's no better place to start than McGregor Diaz too. And I just pray that 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 third fight comes sooner rather than later, my friend. Yeah, that card was the first. I think the, so. The first fight, the first McGregor uh, Diaz fight, was the first card I had ever watched UFC. So like those those two guys are the the reason why I've watched UFC, the reason why I've continued to watch UFC or or at least you know I'm I'm very much a casual fan with UFC. I I I rely on you know Joe Rogan and and the guys who you know and uh who's the guy on ESPN who covers the So there's Ariel Hawani. He's Hawani. like the main reporter. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Like, you know, his audio bits that I hear every now and then or his video bits that I get to see on whether it's Sports Center or just on, on social media in general. Like I rely on those guys to really give you all the information I need and obviously you as well. But I mean, I the people love rivalries, the people love matchups that are timeless, the pet matchups that like it doesn't matter what sport, they love the head and head like head to head. And those two are totally perfect for each other. So I couldn't agree more. Like, I mean, absolutely. It was on ESPN. I did see that on the other day. So I, I knew you were going to go UFC route. I to had to. Off, so I had totally to. Cool. I know it's low yeah, hanging absolutely. fruit, but I have to. No, you're totally fine. Mine. I'm going to go old school, and then I'm going to bring it back. I've got some, I've got some curveballs for you, and I the, you'll you'll understand that poem later on in this. But my first one, we're going all the way back to 1980. You can find it on League Pass. You can find it on uh, League Pass is free, by the way, to watch like all old school games and everything right now. But um, 1980. Game six of the NBA Finals. Now, for people who don't like understand basketball history, like the eighties, mainly the seventies, but the eight, like going into the eighties, it was Johnson. Can I take Bird, a guess? Because I don't know off the top of my head. My guess is that it's like Rockets Sixers. No, 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 no. It's it's Game Six of the NBA Finals. It's my like growing up is like I always thought you know like oh Jordan Game Six like that was like those were like some of the best Game Six performances ever. And my dad's like well yeah like Jordan had good games in Game Six but he never had the best closeout game of all time. And you know a lot of people want to equate maybe LeBron in Game Seven of the 2016 Finals or maybe just uh, you know those those Finals in general. But nobody maybe in the history of the NBA has had a better closeout game than Magic Johnson in Game Six of the NBA Finals. Okay. The stat line, the stat give line me, alone. Luke, okay. Give it so to the, me, Give it to me. I mean, the, the stat line alone is ridiculous, but the the context behind it, you know, Magic Johnson's a rookie, right? First year in the league. Now he's not a nineteen year old. He's you know twenty two years old to twenty three years old coming into the league. Kareem Abdul Jabbar, who was arguably the best player in the league at at that, probably the best player in the league, hurts his ankle in Game Five and can't play in Game Six. The Lakers don't have a center. All right. Magic comes in as a rookie who's been the point guard all year, comes in and plays center, plays all five positions. The stat line, again, is just bonkers. 42 points, 15 rebounds, seven assists. <laughs> in that series, he averaged 21, 11, and eight. 
and he wins, he wins Finals MVP against against the Sixers team that had Moses, Sixers team that had Julius Irving, Hall of Famers across the board. And I mean, you know, if if you don't like, I think a lot of people when they it's tough for them to watch old school basketball because it's a totally different yeah. game, it's a totally different time. But Magic Johnson, I think, I don't in the pantheon, I, like I, I see people who you know, especially now because we have nothing else to entertain ourselves about. You know, we see top five players all the time. You know, you have the LeBrons, the Jordans. You might have a Kareem in there. You might have an Akeem Olajuwon in there. Um, for me, like, I honestly can't understand how Magic Johnson isn't a top five player of all time in the NBA. Okay, this is a guy who played center as a point guard in the most important game at to that point in Lakers history, right? Without their best player. I mean, like that alone solidifies. He is a rookie, right? We talk about Derrick Rose winning the MVP all the time as the youngest MVP ever, but Derrick Rose wasn't playing center in in Game Six of the NBA Finals, in and as a rookie, right? So I, I mean, like I think Magic Johnson doesn't always get the credit he deserves in the pantheon of 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 the greats of all time. And I think a lot of people equate Magic Johnson to flashy Showtime Lakers, a champion, absolutely. But like, no, 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 Magic Johnson, like my dad loves to remind me about how good Magic Johnson was. And, I mean, there are no Lakers that we know today without Magic Johnson. And then Magic, you know, really, he's like, like the, the best thing about Magic is he always said, like, Kobe's better, Shaq, better. Like, but he knows. Like, Magic knows, like, this this franchise, you know, regardless of how he is as a GM or as a front office personnel, like, nobody will ever be like Magic again. Um, You know, and, and to go back and watch that game, to watch that kid, that kid Magic, play mm. Irvin one of my favorite one of my favorite rewatchable old school NBA games of all time that isn't Bulls related so is your Probably is your pops favorite. on team magic over team bird um maybe you could say so so my dad you know grew up on the west coast so those were normally the yeah. games that he caught the most of but uh in Arizona not on the west coast but um I would say so you know I I think it I, I guess it's just over style like you know bird was probably more of a team player of sorts and magic was more maybe a little bit about himself but magic's game was more team oriented than anything else so i I mean like i personally think magic was a better like i would put magic over bird um just because of the positional like part you know he's just he's the point guard but he can play all five positions um i think like magic could dominate today's game and not and still not have to shoot my biggest issue i mean he's just ben simmons yeah Right, and then like he, but he, he, I mean, he took threes later on in his career. He wasn't afraid to shoot, but I mean, like he could truly dominate games just by passing the basketball. I don't think Ben Simmons, as good as he is, isn't is nowhere near that. Like Magic could dominate basketball games by passing. Very few guys in the NBA, maybe ever, could ever do could say they could do that. The Magic Bird debate's really interesting in the Templin household because you have my pops, yeah, whose Milwaukee Bucks were, I mean, just dominated by Bird in the eighties, um, and mm-hmm. and my dad puts bird on this pedestal and, and you know, doesn't worship the guy, but just absolutely idolizes the game, the mentality, the way he played the shooting mentality that he brought when, when he was on the offensive end of the floor. But you have my mom who's West coast born and raised Mm -hmm. family of Laker fans. And she grew up on showtime. So when the magic bird debate comes out at that dinner table, it gets hostile. It is a hostile yeah. few minutes when the Magic Bird debate comes up in the Templin household. So um, I'm glad you're showing Magic the love that he deserves. That is, that's a great game that you brought up. Um, there's a great story, mm-hmm. I think, about the – I'm not going to say it, the full story, because I don't want to mess it up. There's a story, though, about the flight that the Lakers took heading into that game, in the, into that game six, where they asked Magic, you know, can you start – the five tonight with no cream. We, we don't have our guy. Like we kind of right. need you to start at the five in order to make this work. And, and there's just an interesting little story about the conversation that they had and, and magic at one point even incorporated the sky hook into that, into that game six. I know he does yeah. it at a couple of yeah. points in time. So it's just really interesting. Um, great, great, uh, great nomination there. Uncle Luke. Great, great call. Yeah, because I don't know. I, I, a lot of it just has to do with like I think people don't really know how good Magic is. Like Ben Simmons, LeBron, guy gets compared to him all the time. It's just like no, 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 no. Like that's a true point guard who's six seven. You know, like there aren't that many out there. So okay. just wanted to put that out there. Go ahead for your number two. 
In 2008, the whole world knew what was happening. Michael Phelps was about to embark on history. Okay, The world knew that he wanted eight medals in a single Olympics. Um, he wanted to take down Mark Spitz's record of seven, seven gold medals in a single Olympics run. And it's just an unheard of, unfathomable accomplishment to reach. Now, what's interesting for Phelps in such an individualized sport, he wasn't going to be able to get all eight without the help of a few other Americans. Because he was a part of two different relays, right? You have the medley, and then I believe you just have the, the freestyle. In order for Phelps to get all late, he was going to need help from his friends. And uh, in the second race that Phelps was a part of, it's the 4x100 relay. Phelps is early on, and, and they're going up against France, and Australia is really strong at the time. And to keep his hopes alive, Jason Lezak is the swimmer who is the, uh, the anchor for the Americans at the time. And when Lezak hops in that water as the fourth swimmer for the Americans, he is a half length, almost a full length back of, I believe it was France. And if you know swimming or if you've ever swam in any capacity, to make up a full length is impossible. Yeah. You, like, you don't do that. That's not how that, like, that's not how that happens. It, it's, like, swimming is a, a sport of inches in, in some capacity, right? Like, every move is so monumental. And Lee well, hops in this water, and he's down a full length. And at the turn, you know, he gets down to the other end, and, and, the announcers are saying, you know what? I don't know, like, Lezak, the crafty pro. We've seen him here so many times. He's trying to use the wave, the current that's coming off of the leader. And they're like, I just don't know if he has it. Like, he doesn't have it. There's no way. And they keep saying that. He doesn't have it. That it's just not possible. And all of a sudden they go, oh, my God, he's making ground. Good Lord. Oh, my God, Lezak, he makes his push. And when you see the United States name show up in that lane yeah. as the number one mm -hmm. and the whole team celebrates. It's a really spectacular finish. And I think swimming along with, um, along with any other Olympic sport like that, whether it's a sprint, a race, because it's such a short amount of time, the intensity is so great and every little bit mm -hmm. counts so much, right? You don't get to fall asleep in the middle of a race like that. Like, if it's a football game or even if it's a soccer match, whatever it may be, you know, there's minutes that, that can disappear here or there, right? Like people are trying to set things up in a right. race like this, that doesn't happen. And you were on the edge of your seat for the entirety of the race. And I, I really encourage people to go back and you can watch the whole thing. And, and when Lezak gets in this water, you are watching, you're like, there's no way in hell that this guy is going to be able to do this for Phelps. And you see the right. joy and the jubilation on Phelps' face when he sees that United States name show up in the in the one column, and I, I think it just kind of gets forgotten about uh, throughout the course of sports in recent history. We have so much at our fingertips. And I just really encourage people to go back and watch this, kind of do yourself a favor, and and enjoy every second of that race because it's really something special. You could you could just go back to the 08 Olympics and just rewatch a lot of those things. You have the redeem team in basketball. Uh, like I think of, you know, you think about the 08 Olympics in general. Is it was in Beijing at the time, and and we weren't quite, you know, Facebook was around, but we weren't quite there yet to where as a society all the information was at our fingertips. This is the last Olympics that, you know, we weren't getting results at our fingertips about what was happening. Sure, you could go on the internet, but people weren't just always on their, their smartphones and, and checking and seeing the results of the Olympics. Like like this year, if the Olympics, you know, since they're not happening, but had they happened in Tokyo, there's a huge time difference. So you're you're gonna like you're gonna wake up and know the results right away and then still see them on TV. In 08, like you're you're either watching it in real time at night when it's the following day, or you're watching it in prime time with everybody else and you're going to learn the result. I just the 08 Olympics were the last time I remember like like truly being totally invested in in the in like almost everything going on, you know, it's a different time in our lives. And I just thought, I just thought like that was interesting how that's like kind of the last Olympics before we hit the full on digital age of 
we know everything that's going on throughout the world at all times, 24-7. So, yes, I mean, forever we'll remember that, absolutely. And it's it's easy. It's an easy rewatch, too. Very. You know, take 20, take 20, 30 minutes, watch the full broadcast. Get That's what I love most is, like, I like to watch full broadcast. I want to get in the moment, you know what I mean? So that's a good sure. one. Sure. Um, mine to keep us moving along. Mine's super simple. I watch it once a year at minimum. It's the 05 Rose Bowl. I mean, come on, like nothing gets me more excited than 2005 or excuse me, the 06 Rose Bowl. You know what? Right the, now, the, just the, just put in the clip of fourth and five. National yeah. championship is on the line. Fourth and five. The national championship on the line right here. He's going for the corner. He's got it. My my DNA is so much invested in a college football, but b that football game between Vince Young, Reggie Bush, Matt Leinart, uh, and it just like it's the it's like literally the perfect college experience of like why college football matters. Two per like two perfect teams going at it, two extremely talented teams send you know twenty twenty plus pros to the NFL from that game, and it's just like. It's just it doesn't get better than that football that college football game. So I I just wanted a quick that's a quick and easy one that I, everyone knows about. Wanted to get out there. It's an easy rewatch. You can find it anywhere. Love that. Bingo. Um, worth noting. You know, I think everyone has a they look back on college, not college football. They look back on college, and there's there's one or two parties that you kind of hang your hat on that really stand out when you when you think about the fun times you had in college and. And for me, one of those parties that I look back on was during my freshman year. And in that freshman year, we threw this huge party. And you were wearing a Vince Young Texas Longhorn jersey, bro. <laughs> um, it, it, it was just, bro, I just think about Vince Young every time you mention it. Um, and it's totally, totally great that I, I love every time you mention USC in Texas. I just think about that party and all the fun times we had. I like you think about like bid days or things like that. I, I wore that jersey constantly, and I had like there's the, there actually is one picture um, from my good friend Olivia Bugno. It was at G 5s bid day party at Mizzou, and like every, everyone knows, like in campus, like th- those types of days, like everything's legal. Kind of people are just walk around with with open containers and everything. And there's all these girls dressed in purple and glitter, and you know every all the chaos. There's security guards all around to make sure everything's kind of under control. And then there's just me with sunglasses on, a smile on my face, my hair's out of control, wearing an orange number ten Texas jersey, just hanging out, just like, and and all it says is just O oh, is the caption. And it's just me just chilling out, hanging out. So yeah, no, I mean from from a from a standpoint of someone who grew up playing football and 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 loving football, especially college football. Um, there's nothing quite like that football game. And I don't think, you know, game of the century gets constantly overused constantly. Um, I, I'm pretty sure that's still the game of the century. You know, we've had some really good football, college football playoff games. We've had some really good college football playoff games in general, or excuse me, college games in general in the last 15 years. But I don't think anything still matches up with the hype, the setting, uh, every it was just a perfect storm for a perfect college football game. All right, in my third selection here, Uncle Luke, and and I think I have to mention this. And we were kind of going along the lines of not picking events that maybe other people don't necessarily know about. But this is the fight that got me into boxing. My pops had this fight on uh, VHS. Actually, he recorded it on VHS. And we would have neighbors come over and watch this fight. Uh, I want to shout out to Mr. Rich, neighbor down the street, who loved this fight and everything that came with it. But Corrales Castillo, um, not many people necessarily know about it. And if they do, that means they're a boxing fan. But for casuals, it's it's really, really something special. Um, Corrales gets knocked down twice. Hold on, I'm going to pause it real quick, Uncle Luke. Uncle Luke. Yo, um, I'm going to restart, okay? Yeah. Cool. That's fine. Um, all right, Uncle Luke, in my third slot here, this is a fight. It, this is the fight that got me into boxing, and, and that's no bullshit at all, okay? My pops had this fight on VHS. 
Um, so we were able to rewatch it over and over growing up. And my dad was kind of able to share with me the passion that his dad passed on to him. And, and it was a, a cool bonding experience for us. But we had we had neighbors come over to watch this fight on VHS that were it is a really, really special fight. So Corrales Castillo is the fight. And there's so many great moments. There's great quotes. There's great action action sequences. The, spe- the ending is, it's straight out of a Rocky movie, honestly. Um, and round 10 is so good. I almost don't want to say what happens because you just have to watch it and experience it for yourself. Um, especially because so few people do know about it. But I'm just encouraging people that if you have the time and if you're not a boxing fan and you don't know what I'm talking about, you can look up Corrales Castillo. And it's two guys standing in the center of the ring just trading shots back and forth. Um, I'm going to mention one of my favorite quotes from this fight is, I'm not going to say which fighter. One of the fighters gets dropped in the 10th round, right? Fight scheduled for er, for 12 rounds, excuse me. He gets dropped in the 10th. He gets dropped again just a few seconds later and his mouthpiece comes out. And the ref goes, all right, you've been dropped now twice. Your mouthpiece is coming out. This is like your final warning, right? So before Mm -hmm. they can continue the fight, they have to wash off the mouth guard with water. So they go to the corner real quick. His trainer comes over. He washes it off, puts the mouthpiece in his fighter's mouth, and he goes, Well, you better get fucking inside of him now. And he goes out and I'll just leave the rest to whatever your imagination, your interpretation. (laughs) But uh, you can go ahead, look up on YouTube, Corrales Castillo. It is one of the greatest boxing matches I've ever seen in my life. I can go back now and it fires me up. It makes me go into my garage, start jumping rope, start hitting the heavy bag. It's inspirational. It's emotional it's invigorating it's it's a lot of things but it's definitely something you got to do is go back and rewatch Corrales Castillo oh look here's the thing I'm going to be watching these because like, I have nothing else to do so like yes I, I will be I'm glad you're giving me more fighting uh selections than other sports because I've likely probably ever seen the other ones but absolutely um my next my next three selections are kind of an ode to what we're missing out on right now. Obviously, March Madness, um, and then baseball, obviously around the corner, and then the Masters. So the um, the first one, I'll, I'll start with the March Madness one. It's a game uh, my former roommate and good friend Sam Dreyer made me watch um, multiple times. Swing and times, Sammy. Even though I watched Swing and it. Sammy. Yes, it's. It's 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 a game that I watched when I was 16 years old in 2012, um, but I didn't have a dog in the fight back then. I just really loved the rivalry at the time. But this is the this is a era of Mizzou. I think anybody who went to Mizzou for the last six years just really misses out on. And it's number four Mizzou at home versus number eight Kansas in what would be the, the, the last two battles that Mizzou and ba- Kansas basketball would have to be reignited here in this the near future again. Um, obviously, we had the exp- exposition, exposition game. Excuse me, it's late. Uh, but, I mean, you want to talk about 74-71, absolute thriller of a game. Marcus Denman, who who Sam Dreyer like swears by, you know, if you don't know who Marcus Denman is, it's Cassius Robertson on like total steroids. Like, I mean, was the go to score that those Mizzou teams, you know, were, were the, some of the craziest forty minutes in basketball. They they pressed a ton. They threw a lot of guards at you. Had really good basketball players on the court. I mean, just overall, like, I mean, think about Mizzou just first of all being number four in the country. Just wrap that around it, and then wrap around the fact that oh, by the way. It's game day. Game day's there. You know, college basketball game day is there. And it's Mizzou KU at the peak of both of their powers. You know, you had Thomas Robertson on that Kansas team. Um, I'm pretty sure that Kansas team went to the Final Four that year as well. Um, But Mizzou, you know, one of the best teams, probably Mizzou's best basketball team in in college in their history. And I mean, the amount of times Sam and I came home drunk after school or after certainly after school, but after after like long nights. I mean, we didn't have a good basketball team until our senior year anyway. 
the amount of times I watched rewatched that game, and it's a great game to watch. It's just like it makes you feel like okay, one day we could get back to there as a college basketball team. Mizzou KU twenty twelve. God bless. Um, I'm gonna piggyback off of you. Okay, I'm gonna continue down the college okay. basketball route. Um, and this is not a this gotcha. is not a secret selection. What I'm doing right here. Okay, um, and I I think I should probably uh, predicate this answer. I'm not really a college hoops guy. Like as much. I don't think you and I like are. As much yeah, as I love the sport of basketball, I, I, I kind of think college basketball. It's a little slow. It's a little too tightly officiated. Um, I think there's a sleaziness to the recruiting process that kind of irks me in the wrong way at times. And I'm not like, uh, not pointing fingers at anyone, but this game. KU. The 2016 National Championship game between Villanova and North Carolina. I mean, basketball just doesn't get better than that. Um, it's nothing short of a bloodbath. Uh, and everyone knows how the game finishes, right? Everyone knows about the Chris Jenkins uh, you know, final shot where he's leaning in off of the pitch pass. But I, when I was kind of doing my research and I'm re-watching some old stuff, there were a couple things that I caught that obviously you would never here in real time and with 220 left in the game okay this is a really tight game it's a two-point game chris jenkins gets fouled and and your broadcasting team at the time it's jim nance rafferty and grant hill mm-hmm. uh and and uh is it tracy yep. wolfson right yeah and so she's yes. well done so she's well uh, done. she's on the sec yep. sidelines so and she's, she's doing sideline reporting well that game so that's your unit Chris Jenkins gets fouled. He heads to the free throw line. They're talking about him. You go, Grant Hill says, quote, if you are North Carolina, you have to respect the shooting ability of Jenkins. Nance replies and goes, his teammates call him big smooth. And rewatching that, (laughs) knowing what's about to happen, it gave me chills. My hair was sticking up on my arm when I'm rewatching it. The foreshadowing it's impeccable and it eventually leads to what is maybe the greatest one minute in the history of basketball. So I know it's recent memory and it probably has a recency bias to it, but I don't think anyone's going to fault me for, for picking this game. Go ahead, Slater. Yeah. A couple things on that game. One, a lot of people don't recognize this, but the shot that Jenkins hit was on the same play that was drawn up for Wofford for the win at IU against yes. Kentucky in 2011. At uh-huh. IU, right? Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The same yep. exact play, yeah, yeah. just on the other side of the floor. So that's one. Correct. Two, mm-hmm. the best part of the entire sequence is uh, Jay, uh, Jay Wright's reaction. They draw the play up. They run the play. He passes it back to Jenkins. And you just see right on the sideline, like whisper bang right before the ball goes in, doesn't celebrate at all and just goes to shake hands. It's we're all forgetting something that gets lost. in well, it's the, the shot before here. it is Marcus pages. It's the, yeah, it's the shot before it's the double pump fake and he gets it to go. And you're like, how much crazier is this game going to get to tie the game? I mean, that's one of the great shots, period. And if it goes overtime, we remember that shot a little bit more. But obviously, we'll, of course, we'll forever remember. If Jenkins the shot goes to shot, overtime, North Carolina wins on momentum alone. Sure. Yeah. With that shot. Absolutely. But Jenkins yeah. pulls off. I mean, I don't know. The impossible. The once in a lifetime. Once in a million. A shot to win the national championship. I mean. It's it's something that gets yeah. talked about, but that doesn't that doesn't happen. It's a great call. We gotta do a 2016 rewatchables oh of just the championships, all of them, every single one. Because I was of 2016. Yeah, yeah, that was the best sports year, probably ever, ever, ever. Just in terms of the championships. I mean, I, the championships were out of control. You had the Cubs winning the World Series. You had LeBron and the Warriors. Uh, you had Jenkins to win the you championship. You also have Diaz Yeah, I mean that's in there. Wait, hold on. I think the college twenty twenty sixteen college that football the Clemson Bama. It had it's okay. It's 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 the first it's the first version of Clemson Bama, which was also a great game. It wasn't the one that Watson came back on, but Watson like 
announced himself on the national stage. Like he diced up Bama. Bama wins like forty five forty, I think. Um, but it was a great game, and it's, it's the game that kind of announced Deshaun Watson onto the to the national stage. But you know, twenty sixteen, one of the great. Uh, I'm I'm circling the twenty sixteen rewatchables well. podcast. I, I've got it circled in my notes. Yeah, here. wasn't the wasn't the Super Bowl that year? Twenty sixteen is that Seahawks? That's not Seahawks Patriots. Okay, that's twenty fifteen. I was gonna say I was gonna flip I'm out. Gonna check it out. <sighs> well, because I know the following. I got year was I got Sleeters the, on it. Twenty eight to three. Oh, it was Broncos. Yeah, it was Broncos. Oh, uh, then that was a Panthers. bad one. Whatever. But the the 2016 season was the that was yeah. So the 2016 season was the uh, 28-3. Was the Patriots 28 to three, which was nuts. In like that was going right. into the following year. So yeah, I mean, just out outside of just incredible sports. All right. So in my next one is um, I had mentioned Masters. I think. I'm gonna I'm gonna give you two for one just because it's an easy one to rewatch, but it's it's Tiger Woods winning last year's Masters because we're not gonna get the Masters this year. Um, I usually so you can go on Masters website and watch the full round entirety. That's like five hours, so that's committing you know your entire Sunday. Um, you know, just like we all did. But for me, um, go to like Amen Corner right when Kepka drinks, Molinari drinks. Um, I forget who Kepka's playing with. Where he where he goes into the water and then Tiger just goes up there. You have the the grandstand behind there, at Amen Corner. How like it's all set up, and like the camera angles of that like fifteen minutes were just perfect. You get like Molinari's like stone cold face when he drinks Kepka, who's just like kind of in shock that he just gets there. And Tiger gets up there and just coolly puts it in the middle of the green because he he knows the winds, he knows how the ball reacts when he gets it up there. And it's just like. It's that moment where you go, oh, my fucking God, Tiger Woods is going to win the Masters. And it's just like it took me back to being a, a kid again. But this last one, I'm going to I just go ahead. two for one here. Um, 30 seconds left on the play clock. Two for one. My two for one. And um, this this game is near and dear to my heart. It happened in a, just a random July day in 2009, uh, July 23rd, 2009. I was we were in middle school at the time. We were 13 years old. And um, I grew up watching a lot of White Sox games. I grew up watching a lot of Cubs games, um, but never really like ever picked sides. Obviously, I, I rooted for the Cubs when they won the World Series. Um, saw a playoff game when the, the White Sox won in 2005. But I always was a, my grandmother, who, God bless her, it's her birthday. Shout out to, to Mary Lou. It's her birthday today. But she was always a, she, she, you know, she lives in Tucson. The White Sox, obviously, um, for the most for a while, they played their games in Tucson before they moved. Um, I think to Scottsdale. Anyway, Paul Konerko was one of her favorite uh, one of her favorite players because he was always around in the community, and he actually did Jerry Reinsdorf, who owns the White Sox. She did uh, Mrs. Reinsdorf's hair. Whoa! Funny enough, so she's a hair salonist. Yeah, so she used to do. Yeah. <laughs> this is real word on the street. right now. Yeah, yeah, no, this is crazy. I'm, this is it's just I'm just giving you some backstory. Um, anyway, I was always a big fan of Mark Burley, uh, when he was with the White Sox. Cool, uh, great dude. Always great, great, gave great interviews. and was a really good pitcher. Um, his perfect game in July of 2009 is, it's just like one of those things that I'm like very romantic about baseball. Like I don't watch, I don't love baseball like I did when I played it. Um, I loved playing the game more than I did watching it. This random day, I was playing wiffle ball with my friends, and one of my friends, I forget who, was like, "Yo, we should put like like a game on the radio and just blast it and play it on the radio while we play wiffle ball." And the the White Sox were playing, and Mark Burley trots out there against the Rays and tosses nine perfect innings. And Hawk Harrelson, who's retired Hall of Famer, was the longtime announcer for the uh, the White Sox called the game and called a perfect game as well. Alexei! Yes! 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 History! And just like, if you go back, you can watch that game. It's on NBC Chicago. You can Google it and find it. It's just like, it's just a random July day on the South side, man. And it's like history happens. It's, it's just like, how can you not love baseball? Like that's where that, that saying kind of comes from where it's just, 
Like nothing's going on in the world besides baseball. And Mark Burley tosses nine perfect innings and creates history. And it couldn't happen to a better guy. So that's the last one. And with every no-hitter or perfect game, I think you got to have help. You have to have help. And and the help that Burley receives in that game, it it really shows that pitching a perfect game, it's not really up to the pitcher. Like so many other things have to happen in order for a perfect game to occur. And I think that game is just living proof of that and everything line and the stars lining up and, and just everything being where they're supposed to be. If I, I don't even remember who's the center fielder at the time. I know Sleater's going to be able to help me out here. Dwayne wise, Dwayne wise. Yeah. Dwayne wise. I think a decent amount of people know this, but he was inserted in the top of the ninth inning. Like they had just put him in the game. Correct. Yeah. His catch was the first out mm-hmm. of the ninth inning. So, welcome to the ball game. Yep. Here's the mm-hmm. fence. And the thing is with that catch, just and Luke, you're a center fielder as well. Sleater would never understand this because he's a second baseman. Um, <laughs> if, if Wise is one step in, if he is one yeah. step left of wall. that pitch when, when you know the, the pitch or the, the crack of the bat happens, that catch isn't made. I mean, it is everything mm-hmm. happening at the right place at the right time. He took a bad route. Just, <laughs> just an FYI. He took he really a. Did. He really did. I mean, he juggles, he juggles it too. Like, I mean, it's just it's just pure theater, that ninth inning. It's, it really is. It's just pure theater. And, and, like, I mean, I love really good baseball announcers because they have to be. You know what I mean? Like, the Vin Scully's of the world, Hawk Harrelson wasn't always as wasn't nearly as popular as Harry Carey in this town or, you know, Vince Scully nationwide, especially in the LA area. But Hawk Harrelson um is just an all time like he made White Sox games interesting when they were really bad. And when the White when the White Sox aren't good, people don't show up. That's what I love about the South Side is like if you're good, they're there. Not like done. We're there. When they suck, it's like we're not spending our money on you guys. It's all it's a blue collar area. Um and they and like the Southsiders, they get a bad rap in this town because they're obviously dominated by the Cubs, and the Cubs have been really good for the past five years. But um, there's a renaissance coming coming into the South Side. I'll yeah, tell the you White Sox much. definitely seem to be headed in the right direction here. All right, so rounding out my uh, my my fifth selection here, and once again, Luke, I'm I'm gonna be piggybacking um, kind of off you here. I know I'm biased, um, but one of my favorite sporting events of all time is the 2008 U.S. Open. Um, you mm. want to talk about yes, drama? And theater, yeah. it yeah, is. Baby. It's David versus Goliath, right? And and it's yeah, it's a story of perseverance from Tiger's end. He's he's, you know, there's a little bit of mystery involved in the sense that you know they say that there were two stress fractures in the knee. Rocco Mediate doesn't seem to be as keen on the idea that Tiger was that that hurt and that he was just kind of like playing right. it up a little bit that he was dinged up. Um, right. But the, the, I, as I'm rewatching, I'm doing the notes for this. It's at a one of the greatest courses in the world, Torrey Pines. Um, it's in right? your backyard. And so yeah. that for maybe that's why I just remember it so fondly. But through the first 27 holes of that tournament, Tiger struggled. And yeah, I mean it's a tough track everyone, anyway. Everyone like, did, but not, to see you know, Tiger struggle was different, yeah. right? Like I'm used to seeing mm-hmm. Torrey eat up guys, but for Torrey to eat up Tiger Woods through 27 holes, not, not the opening nine. And then Tiger found his groove, not, not eight. Okay. He had a bad day through a round and a half. Torrey Pines was eating up Tiger Woods. And that was what was interesting, but something changed. Something changed on the back nine of Friday and Tiger started to hunt and uh, and the clip that I ended up watching, as you said, you know, you can watch the whole five hour broadcast of Sunday if that's what you want to do or whatever. But there's a really good video documentary where you have Tiger, Rocco, and then Steve Williams, Tiger's caddy at the time. You get their commentary looking back on it. And it's kind of like a uh, in retrospect 2008 clip that it's yeah I know exactly what type it's which really you're it's about. an hour long it's perfect it's 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 in my recommend like of YouTube like <laughs> nonstop <laughs> like literally nonstop it's just always but in they my talk recommend. about the turning point for Tiger on that tournament and Tiger eventually finds himself um, 
one of his balls goes errant, ends up bleeding right a little bit, and he ends up just about two inches from uh, the cart path. So his stance, you know, he's swinging from the cart path, and he's wearing golf cleats, of course, and he slips out on the shot, and he is in agonizing pain, right? Like he just didn't have the grip, and the knee just completely slips out. But the ball finds the green, and Tiger kind of go and he talks about it, he says, you know, if I'm able to withstand that amount of pain, it's not going to get worse than that. I know I can handle that over right. and over, and I will because I want to win this tournament. And everyone kept telling him, Tiger, dude, this is one tournament. I know how much this means to you, but dude, like, we're in this every year. Like, just pull out. We'll be fine. We'll be competing for the PGA Championship later. We have the, the Open Championship, maybe if you're healthy in time. Like, this is no big deal. But the fact that everyone kept telling him that made him want to play and compete in the yeah. tournament more. And not just compete, it made him want to win. The fact that people were doubting him, yeah. he's like, do you know who I am? I'm Tiger fucking Woods. Like, I'm number one in the world for a reason. But to get back to the whole David versus Goliath thing, Rocco Mediate was the perfect dance partner for this situation, right? Yeah, just he was. He really was. Blue collar smile jokester just your everyday golfer who happened to be really good right like he wore red on monday savage. Like, that's the type of guy who was like i'm wearing red playing against tiger woods like i get 18 holes match play against tiger woods on saturday monday. Like, he saturday i don't know if you remember perfect. tiger's wearing the black vest with like the lavender it's like a yeah. lavender bluish type yes. of course he sinks just this monster of a putt during the the round on Saturday, yeah. and then of course he has the famous chip in. What the? Oh, you gotta be kidding! Oh, he knows it too. He got away with one there. He's on that awkward stance where his like left leg is just in a yeah. horrible position, and he chips in. And Tiger takes off his hat, starts scratching his head. He's just laughing. He's like, dude, I don't even know what to tell you. Like, this is out of control even for me right now. Like, I'm used yeah. to chipping in. Not like this, though. Sunday, it's interesting. You know, Tiger doesn't give up leads on Sunday. That doesn't really happen. So, Rocco had to do the impossible. He has to do what has never been done before, and that's hunt down Tiger. And on hole one of Sunday, Tiger bogeys. And we're like, holy shit, dude. Is Tiger Woods, like... Is this actually going to be an eventful day? Is that what we're witnessing right now? Right. Um, of course, the drama on 18 of Sunday. Rocco does everything he can. You know, what, what do you do? Like, what are you supposed to do? He does everything he's supposed to do. And, and Tiger sinks the, the 15, 20-footer, whatever the putt was, to, to send it to the playoff. Um, and, and Rocco, to his credit, he didn't back down. It's not like Rocco lost... Rocco did not lose the U.S. Open. Tiger won it. I think that's why I'm able to remember yeah. that match so fondly and that weekend so fondly. Um, I remember. I don't think. Yeah. I don't think I remember a day from 2008, but I remember that day clearly. Father's Day from 2008. And I spent it just watching the U.S. Open. And it, like literally, I think in that documentary, like Rocco, like he, like they flashed to Rocco after Tiger makes a putt. He goes, I knew he was going to make it like. How could you not think he was going to make that putt? Like, that's just so you know, funny enough. It's just funny enough. Things. So schools in Southern California, we actually we start school really late and we finish school really late. So mm -hmm. we go into June for our graduation days. Right. And right. Monday, instead, like so for the U.S. Open, they don't play a one hole playoff like they do in a lot of other tournaments. They you play 18. You run it back. You yep. run back 18. So on Monday. That was actually my last week of school. It was. And my teacher, shout out Miss Deonato, put it on TV during class that day. And I That's have so great sick. memories of watching. I wore my Tiger Woods hat that day at school. Like, I remember <laughs> everything about that final round. It was it was really something special. Yeah, I uh, was helping my mom clean out her classroom. And we wheeled in like... You know, you see those, like, the memes on Twitter where they roll oh, Dude, the that's TVs. what we watched it on. I yeah. made my mom roll one of those <laughs> in so we could have it on on the TV while we were uh, finishing cleaning up her classroom. 
It was it was perfect. Two thousand eight, I mean, like the yeah. U.S. Open. It's it's a perfect course. It's Tiger Woods in his prime. It's the perfect dance partner. It's David versus Goliath. It's drama theater. It's Shakespeare. It, it's beautiful, is what it is, and it's worth a rewatch. Now, go- golf tournaments are sick, dude. They're great. <laughs> like that's what I miss most about like all this. Like, yeah, I miss the NBA. Yeah, I miss like we're missing out on March Madness, but like we're getting into you know Masters. Uh, the players was supposed to. The players got canceled. Uh, you know the 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 PGA is now in May, and we're we're missing so many good golf it's heartbreaking. tournaments. Heartbreaking, and it's just it's a bummer, man. It, it really is. We're gonna miss the U.S. Open probably too. It's just, I mean, it is what it is. Like it's it's all for good reason, but at the same time, it sucks, you know. And that's why we're sitting here. We're we're, you know, it's it's nearly one o'clock here in Chicago, and I'm talking about old sports moments because like I have nothing else to do besides work and. Yeah, the restaurant industry is a shit right now. So, like, hey, I would rather let's talk about some happier times. Yo, shout right? out, so, shout out you for um, staying up this late at this hour right now, man. You're, you're, hey, man, I told you the graveyard shift. I've always wanted to do this stuff. The graveyard shift is like, I'm going to have a radio, like, um, just middle of Nebraska. God bless you. God bless the graveyard you, my guy. <laughs> um, so, we had discussed mentioning just kind of talking about the quarantine, just in generic. Uh, general terms we are approaching like hour 30 right now um of this podcast let's just wrap it up okay that's fine um works for me uncle luke first first and foremost thank you my guy for doing this really appreciate you brought some uh excellent excellent suggestions to the table hopefully people can can learn a little bit um now as i say that i don't think your your team holds a a candle to my squad my quarantine not even close my team first of all kick out your team's ass you're just in a straight up knife fight. Absolutely delusional. I'm going to war with my quarantine. I don't quarantine. know about that. Okay. It, it, it's an elite That's unit fine. is what it is. Um, <laughs> Who's smoking more pot is right? what I want to know. That, that, that's right. the... So now without sports, we have to do like drug statistics, right? Like there's over-unders yeah, exactly. now placed in <laughs> Vegas on, on whose house is going to be smoking more. Unbelievable, bro. Um so yeah, we were able to put together fun little quarantine, you know, four TV movie characters that we'd want to be stuck in a house with for an extended period of time. And we were able to kind of provide some different characters for different reasons. Uh, then we were able to transition into just five sporting events that are, that are kind of worth a rewatch right now. Obviously, not a whole lot going on. Not, not No sports. Um, movies are shut down. And so we're stuck with what we've got. But there's some hidden gems out there. And you know, you've probably heard of a handful of these or maybe you've seen them, but it's been a long time. And then maybe there were one or two that, you know, you never really got around to watching. So do yourself a favor. Go back. Check these out. They're uh, <laughs> they're they're worth it. OK, you, you take my word for that. Uncle Luke, final uh, final closing thoughts here. Nah, man. Be well, be safe, be healthy. All right, champ. We'll be uh, I'm sure we'll be talking tomorrow. Um, I'll see you soon. And uh, can't wait. Can't wait. Let's go home. Let's go home, ladies and gentlemen. Let's go home.